Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Thank you so much for tuning back into another segment here on GEMS Podcast. With me today is Rebecca Lepard, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about her background, and then we're going to get into a very fruitful conversation that is meaningful. So Rebecca Lepard is founder of Upgrading Women, a communication and leadership training provider for women. She is an Indonesian mother of three who lives with her British husband in England. She is passionate in solving problems on equity gap, toxic workplace, social justice, and promoting happy living. And she is really passionate about doing it all. And especially whenever you are a mother, you begin to wear multiple hats. But a big component of not just being a mother is also knowing who you are and how you really practice self-care so you could fulfill your dreams too, while also helping your family with theirs and your business as well. So She has a lot of versatility, and we're going to unpack some of that today. So let me welcome on the woman behind it all, Rebecca Lepard. Hi, Genesis. Hey, Rebecca. How are you doing? I'm very well, and I have to say I love your name and that I didn't even think about that name for my own daughter (laughs) because I... I love biblical names that are not names of people. Mm. <laughs> so my so my children um, are Raven, the Blackbird from Noah's Ark, and um, the second one is Rex, um, just because it means king, <laughs> and the third one, my daughter, is River. Ah, okay. That is super cool. And they all start with the R. Raven, Rex, and... And River. River. How do you spell the last one? No, it's actually, it's River. Uh But because British accent is (laughs) River, just, you know, like the River Jordan, the River... okay. Whatever you... But in here, (laughs) her name is pronounced River. (laughs) oh okay awesome and just like water (laughs) so thank you for for sharing that and um before we dive into the work that Mm -hmm. you're doing because I definitely want to hear what your pandemic survivor story is and what (laughs) what allowed you to get get to where you are now I want the audience to be able to connect with you though in a fun and personal manner so there are two options and I'm sure you're familiar because you've done your research so we could do either a rapid fire game or Mm -hmm. an icebreaker what are you in the mood for always rapid fire Okay, I'm a sprinter. I'm a sprinter. <laughs> okay, it's rapid for a reason. So here we go. We're playing mm-hmm. rapid fire with Rebecca and Genesis. Do 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 do. Question number one. You mentioned that you're a sprinter. So outside of sprinting and running, would you say that's your favorite sport? 
No. <laughs> Basketball is. Question two. What is your drink of choice? Coffee, tea, or something else like an adult beverage? <laughs> I am a coffee drinker. But lately, I opt in um, taking caffeine tablet instead of coffee. Mm, okay. Get, yeah, because I, I can sustain my you know, focus in, in that way without having to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Question three. Your bio mentions that you are Indonesian and you're married mm-hmm. to a British. So how was it merging both cultures together? Or backgrounds. We've been married uh, for 10 years. And every single day we still struggle with it. <laughs> but in the end, every, every thing that we um, argue about in terms of like the best parenting style, how to go about things, we, uh, the tiebreaker is Google. Because it's so strange as simple as if you have a child who, who has a high fever, do you wrap them up, you know, with blankets and stuff? Um, which in my culture, it's like that. You wrap it up, even though we're in the tropics. So when you, uh, because you're shivering when you, you have fever. But in the British culture, no, you strip them down. Down to just, just the nappy diaper in America. So I would be like wrapping up my, uh, my feverish child. And when I look away, when I come back, why is my baby only wearing pants and, that, and, and a diaper? Well, this is how we treat <laughs> fever kid. So in the end, okay, okay. Neither you or I are doctors. So um, let's go to Google and find the best answer. In the end, it's just paracetamol. <laughs> Question four, favorite color? Pink. Question five, favorite movie? Oh, gosh, that's tough. Oh, that's tough. Um, I have been watching Miss Sloan. Um, uh, Jessica Chastain starred in it. And I love it because that it is the well a it's a female lead and b the dialogue is real and the characters are um three-dimensional as in is she a, a hero or is she a villain or can it be both so i i love that uh it's probably one of few movies that i've watched um more than once because i really still want to like study the character even more it's not even a um that famous of a movie but I totally recommend it so thank you for sharing I'm gonna look that one up because I haven't heard of that one so Miss Sloan question six if you could go anywhere in the world and money was was not an option where would you go oh go back home to Indonesia Question seven, what is your favorite food? All of Indonesian food, gosh. Um, um, we have 
meatball soup. <laughs> I know it sounds so um, basic, but you know that every culture has their own version of meatball. Every culture has their own version of pancake. Um, so yeah, I guess if I can choose one food that I can eat three times a day for the rest of my life, meatball soup, Indonesian meatball soup. (laughs) Question eight, if you could have lunch or dinner with any person past or present, who would it be? (sighs) Melinda French Gates. Question nine, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Teleport. Question 10. Pass or play? Uh-huh. Here are the rules. If you pass, our rules are reversed and you get to ask me a question. If you choose to play, I ask one last question to wrap up rapid fire. So do you want to pass or play? Play. Okie dokie. Last question. Would you rather a dream car, dream home, or hell? Let's go big and have both. Dream house. Amazing. And thank you for playing Rapid Fire. So we're going to jump into the main part of the segment, Mm -hmm. which is the work that you're doing now. And it's sharing your pandemic survivor story. But just give us a quick overview Mm -hmm. of who you are from growing up to now and how that has made you the woman that you are. Ooh. Let's see how I can um, a narrate my, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can narrate my autobiography in one minute. Um, it's a good, it's a good one. So I was born a double minority in that uh, I'm a girl in an Asian culture, um, which adores boys. Um, so I was born a girl as as a firstborn to a middle-class family, um, a Christian family in a Muslim country. So again, minority, double minority. And because my family um, thankfully uh, rise, um, rose from middle-class to upper middle-class, my parents could afford to send me to very, very good schools. Uh, like all girls Catholic high school, top of the top. Um, And I went there and I was surrounded by brilliance. And that was when I realized for the first time that, wow, if we let these girls run the world, (laughs) literally, it's going to be a completely different history. So being surrounded by, uh, by these girls, brilliant girls, and to this day, we still have a group chat, all, what, two, 500 of us. <laughs> yeah, and we're like, there's one in New York who's a video um, editor. There's one in Singapore who is a software engineer. We're everywhere um, coming from this school in Jakarta, Indonesia. And... I never had let my focus away from my career, my dreams and everything. So everything I, I did and have done is to build my career. So um, I became a senior editor of a national magazine 
by the time I was 24. And I became an account director in a PR agency when I was 26. And I was um, a director of public relations in, um, in a global company when I was 29. <laughs> so, and I'm, and I'm 38 now. So all of that um, had formed me like this uh, very, very, like work is my joy. And my work or my labor is being a parent. <laughs> I know I'm not alone in this way of, um, uh, in this mindset. But I also know that women are made to feel guilty or shamed if they say they love their job, if they say they don't feel guilt when they go to work, you know, and um, I'm here to say, hey, that is absolutely fine. Men have no guilt. And they are allowed and celebrated to be ambitious. And we are being shamed for having an ambition. So for me, it's like the more I say, the more I articulate it, despite my friends or my neighbor would look at me like, Rebecca, you have three children, young children, age nine, five, and two. Why are you? you know, staying up late all night, working, um, recording a podcast uh, in ungodly hours and all of that stuff. But I'm like, that is what brings me joy. So when the pandemic happened, what happened was, because it happened in Asia um, and we were at the epicenter of it all, we got the financial hit first. So when the first world, the UK and US were still debating over masks and stuff, (laughs) March, 2020, my husband uh, got furloughed from his job. And because he was the expat in that country, he he was then due to be repatriated back to England. Okay, let's pause really quick there because yes. I'm going to put some context for the audience because I understand this, um, especially mm-hmm. working in a um, field that does that. So for those of you listening, an expat is whenever you are working in another country that is outside of your home base. And whenever you repatriate that, that means that they are sending you back to your home base to work in your home base because it is more cost effective to do that because when you are an expat, you get more perks and you get a higher pay because you're no longer working in a country that is your home country. And that may look like they'll put you in a compound, which is a place that you live with your fellow coworkers, but it is very well secured as at least from the oil and gas perspective, which is 
my industry where I spent 12 years in and they may give you a car service because depending on what country you're working in, it is not safe for them to allow their employees to travel on their own or et cetera. So I just wanted to share that so you could connect the dots with where Rebecca is coming from. Mm -hmm as she continues to build upon the pandemic survivor story. And then Rebecca, I'm gonna chime in here, here and there because I wanna make sure that the audience is getting it and they're understanding it. And then I'm also going to ask some questions because just hearing how you grew up and how that has been a driving factor for you reaching various milestones in your career and you loving your work because it's tied to your passion, but then you also feel like your work is tied to your kids, which is the labor that you're doing for them at home. So I just wanted to just summarize that before you continue to make sure the audience is following along. Thank you for that. Yes. Um, in my husband's case, um, he did not work in a, in a different branch. So when he was uh, repatriated, he was basically just cut off from any income. So that is the sad part. That is when the rug was pulled under our life, our feet, basically. Um, I was employed at the time. But uh, having the three children and two of whom were, uh, were sent to an international private school that caused an arm and a leg, we just um, couldn't see how we could sustain um, living with only one income in, um, in an uncertain time. You know, if it's, if it's a non-pandemic time and he lost his job, he could probably get another job in a month or two. But I said to him, we have to, A, <laughs> have some faith, have a lot of faith, a bucket load of faith, and B, be pragmatic about things as well. So we decided that when we watch the news and see how world leaders are still running around like headless chickens <laughs> on how to navigate around this pandemic. Because at the beginning, a lot of people still thought, uh, think that, oh, this is probably just another SARS. It will go, or this is going to be just like Ebola <laughs> that is just contained. Nobody predicted that it was going to be global. I was over here talking and I muted on a big on a big scale because you know even though there was information that was privy because I feel like different countries had already warned us on what to look forward to and I'm based in the US and you're based in the UK um, some government officials said, oh, no, we're not going to get it. So we did not prepare for it. And then whenever it really came full fledged, we were scrambling because we didn't know what to do. Um, we were scrambling from PPE perspectives, personal protective equipment. Our hospitals weren't prepared as people were catching um, SARS, which is covid and etc. So then the hospitals were overstaffed with patients and understaffed with physicians, 
um, doc physicians, which are the doctors, the nurse practitioners, the CNAs, and et cetera. And then you saw medical negligence happening because they are expecting to do so much, but with little resources. So who's suffering? The patients are suffering and it sucked. And I could honestly say it sucked and I hated it because my dad was one of those patients that passed from medical negligence. Mm. He went in in May, paralyzed three days later, and then ended up dying in November, November 25th, the day before Thanksgiving. So I feel like if we would have gotten wind and really paid attention to whenever the information was privy, we could have got ahead of the curve. We could have been more, more proactive versus reactive, in my personal mm-hmm. opinion. Oh, girl, I have personally lost um, you know, people around me. I praise be to God that I didn't lose uh, any family members, but I did lose friends. And I have my best friend uh, becoming uh, a widow at my age with two small children simply because of all of this, that um, disappointingly, our leaders aren't the problem solver that... (laughs) that they should be but then I did my own calculus in that okay this is all equally bad but we have the option to we actually have the option to stay in Indonesia because my husband has the the right to stay because he's married to to um, an Indonesian um so he, he was not forced to be out of the country in, 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 uh, in the legal sense. However, we're like, okay, England provides free healthcare. In the pandemic, isn't that the one luxury that you should grab it, you know, um, at whatever sacrifice? Yes, of course, the sacrifice would be like leaving the tropical country with beautiful beaches and, <laughs> and summer all year long and nice food and, um, and affordable help. Um, we had nannies, we had all the support system that would have, uh, that, that allowed us to actually be uh, two working parents. So okay, so we will have to live um, in a quote-unquote normal life as opposed to the quote-unquote luxurious life, you know, with help, with with the weather, with the scenery. Um, and we trade that with free healthcare, something that is not even available in the U.S. No, right? it is not. We do not have universal health care like England or Canada, where some of my family lives in Canada. And it does make it hard because whenever you don't have universal health care and then you look at status quo or you look at class systems, people who have insurance versus people who don't have insurance, the quality of care does lack, even though some people may quote unquote say, oh, it doesn't make a difference. It does make a difference, especially on mm-hmm. where you live, what your socioeconomic bracket is or et cetera. Because even though you may have insurance, you may have PPO versus HMO 
or you may have a certain tier of insurance that may or may not cover certain certain things. And then um, if the hospital is over over overstaffed already with patients, then your quality of care is going to depend on a triage. Who's the most severe to the less severe? And you'll you may be waiting for hours and hours and hours. And then there's other factors that go involved in that. So what I'm hearing, Rebecca, you said you had to make a decision and weigh the pros and cons of either staying in, in Indonesia with the luxurious life or trading that as a trade-off and going to England where there is free healthcare in case something were to happen, you would have access to that healthcare, but then you're leaving some other forms on the table. And that is a hard decision because both of them can weigh in based on your family structure and dynamics and what your needs are, as well as your wants too, in my opinion. Oh, yes, absolutely. When... These days, two years after we moved uh, to England, our conversation, my, my husband and I, we always like, okay, when we can afford it, when we can afford it, we will hire a nanny, we will hire a nanny. So it's not even when we can afford it, we go on a vacation or let's upgrade our car. No, our first and foremost splurge in our needs and wants uh, is to have that village. It does take a village to raise children and we don't have it here. Well, A, even if we could afford it, during the pandemic, you cannot have people visiting your household, right? So even if, even that we have, um, so my husband has a sister who lives uh, about 20 minutes away from us who can, you know, from time to time help, help us uh, around, um, even though, you know, she has her own son. But there is, you know, when uh, there is someone out here, but because of the uh, lockdown rules, she couldn't even enter the house, you know. We still, I remember there's a photo of us celebrating her birthday on the pavement, standing two meters away, <laughs> two meters apart, like happy birthday. So <laughs> um, living in the pandemic um, and having absolutely no um, income because eventually I had to quit my job. Wow, because I'm sure you had to, um, I'm sure you had to quit your job. And then you did mention early on, your husband was furloughed. Um, mm -hmm. and early at zero percent salary, by the way. <laughs> so, okay. I I'm, I'm resonating with this. And the reason why I'm resonating with this, because in the pandemic, one week after my father passed, I found mm -hmm. out that I was being laid off from oil and gas and energy. And during that time, my husband was a chef by trade. So we all know with the lockdown, restaurants went away. Mm -hmm. So he was no longer working. So can you imagine, so audience, imagine where Rebecca and I are coming from. When neither person is working, all you have to do is easily jump into a BCP, business continuity plan, not from a work perspective, but from a personal perspective. What are you going to do? Because as some people said, this just got real. Yeah. <laughs> because 
it there, just hit the fan. <laughs> yes. But I said, you know what? I, I, I do come from a spiritual and religious background. So I was like, we just got to have faith. Like, you know, um, it may be hard. We're just going to have to buckle down and we're going to use the resources that we have. And we're just going to muddle through. This uh, this podcast was birthed out of that because after losing my father, going through the grief journey and et cetera. And I say all this to say is I could resonate with you having to leave your job on top of you dealing with the fact that your husband was furloughed. But I'm sure you probably had to leave your job because if your kids are home, you have to probably school them at home. And if you don't have the resources and people can't come into the home because of the what the government restrictions are, then who's going to do it? Right? Exactly. Exactly. So it was, I, I think the pandemic was <laughs> almost designed to kill women's career. I tell you, <laughs> wait, mothers wait. especially. <laughs> I wouldn't say kill. I would just say reinvent and retrospect because there's a lot of mothers that really got created. Yes, absolutely. Myself included. But when you were there in the thick of it, not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, being thankful that you don't even have the temperature or you don't have a sudden cough. You know what I mean? It yeah. was... It was a faith crusher, a mental health crisis. If I didn't have that faith, I don't think I will still be here talking to you in <laughs> in normal sentence. <laughs> because so my baby, when I'm when I arrived in England, June 2020. My baby was seven months old, still breastfeeding. My toddler, three and a half years, didn't speak English because he was raised by an Indonesian nanny. Um, I recognized my privilege. Therefore, I couldn't complain. <laughs> so I had to translate everything to him while we live here. Um, For, for a short while and my eldest at the time was seven um, and he was just you know the, the age where you just make friends at school and you just whisk away by your parents to complete a different continent um, so we had all three kids with uh, all of their problems which therefore became our problem <laughs> and we couldn't even have a second to even process our own crushed ego I guess or our own grief from losing our job um, losing the lifestyle we used to live in an um, 800 square meter house with the private pool Um, that was just two steps away from my bedroom to people here in England refusing for their house to be rented to us, even though we offer to pay six months in advance because they don't want to have a tenant who's unemployed. 
Yeah, so, so a lot of a lot of complex uh, complexities there around that. On top of transitioning from one part of the world into another part of the world, juggling with what's going on with your children, a change in pace with lifestyle, and you having to readapt. Uh, refuel, rejuvenate, and just go through this whole reinvention of what is life going to look like, because obviously it's not going back to new to normal. This is the new norm, and no one can foresee when the end is in, in sight, but what you did was have faith. And I do want to be respectful of your time, Rebecca, so we're going to begin to wind down. So um, do you want to just add the bow here and then we're just going to um, jump into the call to action and then our challenge for the audience could be to continue to follow part of your journey or we could have you back on later for a part two. Yes, absolutely. So the bow that ties all of this together is my experience living in a privileged life and overnight, because of the pandemic, I live in poverty. And you can simply say it's a humbling experience, but no, it's a slap in the face. It's a punch in the jugular. <laughs> it's a kick in the, in the throat. But from that, I also, therefore begin to see that, hey, this means I can start from zero. Also means that I can do whatever I want. So I began to expand my network here in England. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody still know who I am here. <laughs> but that also means it's a good excuse to say hello and introduce myself to the to the field to the industry to 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 the market right and even though i had uh, literally hundreds of rejection of job application um i then decide you know what nobody's going to give me a seat at a table i'm gonna build my own table and am I, and I'm going to provide enough chairs around that table so that other women, especially mothers and minority groups who couldn't have access to job security, or if, it, if they do have jobs, they cannot progress because of the layers and layers of biases they have in the workplace. They have brilliant ideas but they do not even have a the confidence or the opportunity to present themselves. Therefore, February this year, I opened my um, executive learning hub called Upgrading Women, although it's actually Upgrading Women Plus because I know that there are other uh, gender identities and there are also other minority intersectionalities that. I really, really want to, to give a leg up to these wonderful, brilliant people. There's so many immigrants in England that 
when you say Asian in the UK, it means differently to when you say Asian in the, in the US. So for your audience listening, in the US, when you say Asian, what comes to your mind? It's the fair skin, small eyes, straight black hair, oriental face, right? But here in the UK, when you say Asian, it means South Asian, as in Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, all that beautiful, gorgeous people. So equally gorgeous to the Oriental, but what I'm saying is that we are also a nation of immigrants. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we still have to struggle in presenting our ideas. And we are very studious people. Immigrants are famous for having the ambition and the drive to be the model immigrant, model citizen, right? Amazing. And then I would also say too, like coming from parents that are both um, immigrants, where my mother is West, uh, West Indian and my father was from Curacao, it is how do you identify with your race and you make sure that you are confident in your race and really showcase that without feeling as if you need to diminish a part of your racial group or some cultural ties in order to fit in and seek validation from people who don't understand. So I would share that there. And then I also want to encourage the audience to really check out Upgrading Women. But we're going to jump into the call to action, Rebecca, and we'll have you back for a part yes. two. Um, it'll probably be sometime after I start back up after maternity leave. So what oh, is... Yes. <laughs> What is your call to action for the audience? How can they connect with you via your website? And where do you primarily hang out on social media? So you can follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Leppard. And um, RebeccaLeppard.com is going to, to launch. But definitely, if you're on my Instagram, you will see all of the updates that uh, whatever project that I'm doing, whatever, especially the voluntary project that I'm doing, um, and one of them is um, Design Justice Network, which is actually based in the US, but I'm now like opening a, a, a branch in, in the UK because there's so, so much work in the diversity, equity, uh, inclusivity, and belonging space that I would like to for you to just check out my Instagram and see what I have to say. And if you have any questions about career journey or being a mother, being an immigrant, being, you know, how to lean in in your career, just slide into my DM. Amazing. And I will have your website information in the show notes. So audience that will be linked there. And then I will also, um, from her website, you'll have the backlinks on your website to your social media platforms, correct? Correct. Okay. And then just, um, just for clarification. So on Instagram, I know you have your Rebecca Lepard page. Do you have one for upgrading women as well? Yes. Okay, so, so both 
Yes. So as soon as you go into Rebecca, uh, Rebecca Leppard on um, Instagram, you will see that uh, in my bio, um, the link to Upgrading Women, etc. Okay, perfect. So there you have it, audience. So you could definitely connect with, with mm-hmm. Rebecca. This is going to be on 40 plus audio um, platforms. And then the video is on our YouTube channel, which is Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp. And lastly, but not least, I want to thank each one of you for taking time out of your day to support the content that we shared with you today. So until the next guest, next segment, peace love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at gems, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcasts.